It's been awesome spending so much time in this chapter this week. It's a cracker of a chapter, as you just heard. It's engaging, it's witty, it's funny, and I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful because we get to see that moment that a man really sees Jesus. He calls him Lord, and he believes and worships him. And ironically, for a chapter that's all about seeing and receiving sight, it's a chapter that spurs me on to live for the unseen realities of Jesus seated in his kingdom of heaven and a day coming when he returns. And I want, that to be, um, I want you to be spurred on for that as well. Now, just quickly, as a bit of an aside, I had a bit of change intact after I submitted the sermon outline, so don't look at that in front of you. I've got the outline up on the screens, and you can look at that. A bit of context as we're heading into chapter 9 is that it's a continuation of a theme that's emerged in chapter 8. Well, actually, since the whole start of John, in John 1, it's a theme about Jesus being the light of the world. So in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, "'I'm the light of the world.'" Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And in chapter 9 again, he he expands this claim and repeats his claim. In 9 verse 5, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And the chapter will show us what it means for Jesus to be in the world as the light of the world. And that's what we're going to spend time thinking about this morning. Because it, it could be nice, right? It sounds nice. Think of a restaurant, warm ambiance and the, the lighting. But I think Jesus being the light of the world is not something that we immediately expect. And here's what I think John 9 is telling us it means for Jesus to be in the world as the light of the world. Here is my first point. Jesus being the light of the world is Jesus judging the world. We're going to start at the end um, of this chapter in chapter 9 because the end is really the crux of chapter 9, where the whole chapter has been leading to, you know, naturally. And if we get this right, it'll help us understand the whole chapter. So pick up with me there in verse 39. Verse 39, Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. This is the crux of the chapter, and it's what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. Jesus blinds those who can see and gives sight to the blind. Now, at first glance, this sounds really backwards, right? Just unjust. If Jesus is making a judgment here, aren't judges meant to be fair? How can it be right to blind those who can see? And to really get our heads around this, we need to know what kind of seeing and blindness Jesus is talking about. And we get that as we just keep reading through. So in verse 40, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? And we're just meant to hear this question loaded with sarcasm and scoffing in their voices because if you look at the way Jesus replies in the next verse, he's definitely reading a claim to be able to see in the Pharisees' question. So verse 41, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see your sin remains. Now, it's claiming to see while they can't see 
that means that their sin remains. It's like if someone claimed to be healthy when they're sick, it would mean they never saw a doctor. Jesus uses that exact concept when he says, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Denying blindness means their sin remains. It's a terrible and tragic close for the Pharisees at the end of this chapter because it shows Jesus' judgment on them of making those who are able to see blind. And it shows that the blindness Jesus is talking about is a spiritual blindness of sin, refusing to accept Jesus as Lord. So to come back to our question, how is it just that Jesus blinds those who can see? Well, it's because he's blinding, the seeing that he's blinding is a spiritual seeing that claims to see without the light of the world. And this is sin. For the Pharisees, they claim to see, they think they have a light, and that they don't need Jesus. For them, it was the light of the law as they interpreted it. For our world, it might be that they see by the light of a comfortable life, or the light of pleasure, the light of prestige, the light of another religion, but they're all fake lights that are no lights at all. And it's this type of seeing, by the light of something else, without the light of Jesus, that Jesus blinds. On the other hand, it's those who come to know that they're blind without the light of Jesus, that Jesus makes able to see. The heart of Christianity is that there is only one true light of the world, and it will have both these effects on people. Those who do not see will see, And those who can see will become blind. So let's see that worked out through the chapter. Second point is that those who do not see will see. Come back to the start of the chapter in verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. As he was passing by, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. Now, if we had a bit more time, I'd think about the relationship between sin and suffering, but we don't, and Jesus actually just gives us the reason this man's born blind, if we keep reading there in verse 3. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world." So whatever follows is a display of the works of God. And it's going to be tightly connected to Jesus being the light of the world. So keep reading in verse 6 there. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. So how does this display the works of God so far? Well, firstly, we're meant to see that really clear connection between the sign and it displaying that Jesus is the light of the world because he gives sight to the blind. You can't miss that, can you? This man stops walking in literal darkness because Jesus is the light of the world. And it's pointing to something spiritual that unfolds throughout the chapter. But there's two things I want you to notice in there as well about how it happens. The first is that the man doesn't ask to be healed. 
He hasn't said anything up until this point. He hasn't cried out to Jesus. Jesus just comes along and does these things to him. The second thing to notice is that the pool that he's healed in is called Siloam, which we're told means sent. And the point here is that it's not the pool. There's no magic properties to the pool, and it's not the man's obedience to being told to go that heals him. It's because he was sent, sent by Jesus. Jesus heals him. And what these things are telling us is that we don't have the capacity on our own to respond to Jesus as we ought. We need Jesus, the light of the world, to heal our blindness. Jesus doesn't come to a world that's aware it's blind, eager to fix the problems. No, he comes to a world that's groping in the dark. And that's the point of John 1 verse 10. If you went back there, you'll see he was in the world and the world was created through him, yet the world didn't recognise him. So when we do see, when we do recognise Jesus, it's an act of grace and mercy that God makes blind people able to see. Give thanks to God if you can see. And you might be thinking, how do I know if I can see? And I think the rest of the story helps us with that, but it's in the context of those who become blind. This is my third point. We're going to spend most of our time here. Those who can see will become blind. Keep reading with me there in verse 8. His neighbours and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, he's the one. No, others were saying, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. Like he would know, wouldn't he? He was the one who was blind. Verse 10, therefore they asked him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he answered. Like, he was blind. They're asking someone who was blind where someone went. Of course he wouldn't know because he was only seeing after he washed in the pool. This is amazing, right? So they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Now, I don't think there's anything malicious here. They don't doubt him or anything. They just think, wow, this is amazing. Let's go see what the Pharisees have to say about it because of all people... The the Pharisees should be able to see what's going on here. But before we move on, the narrator gives us some helpful information that just flavours the rest of this scene as it unfolds. So in verse 14 we read, The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. And of course this is going to be a problem for the Pharisees because making mud and opening eyes are both considered prohibited work on the Sabbath according to the Pharisees. So verse 15, so again the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them, I washed and I can see. It's obviously a bit of a truncated version of the story. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Just like the signs have been doing all the way through John, they should point to the reality of who Jesus is, that he's sent from God, he's of God. But the Pharisees here are divided over whether he really is from God or not. 
So in verse 17, again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. Now, from the Pharisees' point of view, this is going nowhere, right? And so they need to nail something down. Did, was he actually really blind or not? So in verse 18, the Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and able to receive sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one that you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, ask him, he's of age. Now this is a pretty serious threat to be not accepted or received at your local synagogue, to be banned. Uh, it happened to Paul a bunch of times. He's banned from a synagogue, thrown out. And it's essentially a way of saying, you don't belong here. You're not one of us, one of the true followers of the law of God. And at this stage, it's pretty hard for the Pharisees to deny that this man was born blind and can now see. But there's no progress on what anyone thinks who Jesus is. So they press the man on who he thinks Jesus is. Verse 24, so a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. It's essentially saying, cough it up, tell us the truth. We know this man is a sinner. Verse 25, he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. It's like he's saying, I'll leave the theology to you. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too, do you? This is a really sharp question. And it shows that this guy is finally, he's throwing his lot in with Jesus and he's deliberately taking a jab at the Pharisees. Verse 28, they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God he wouldn't be able to do anything. Now, just as an aside, this man's theology, it, it's not bulletproof. When Moses made his staff into a snake, so did the Egyptian magicians. But his instincts about Jesus are spot on. So verse 34, you were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you were trying to teach us? And then they threw him out. The Pharisees have heard this man say, that Jesus is from God and that he's not a sinner. But they reject what he has to say about Jesus because he was born entirely in sin, which is a reference to him being born blind. They're finally, it's like they've finally agreed that this man was blind but now can obviously see. And instead of letting this point them and direct them towards Jesus... It turns them away from Jesus instead. 
You know, if there's any picture of those claiming to be able to see but becoming blind, this is it. Of all people, the Pharisees should have been able to see. They were experts in the Old Testament. They should have remembered that the blind receiving sights is one of the clear signs of the coming of the Messiah. And they had lost sight of the Sabbath law so that they even considered healing as work. Instead of being amazed, they're suspicious. Instead of seeing a clear connection between the sign and what it says about Jesus, they're hardened against him. And this shows that even though truly seeing Jesus is a gift from God, humans are still responsible for the way that we respond to him. The man believes Jesus is from God because of the sign, but the Pharisees entirely reject that Jesus is from God because of the same sign. Jesus is judging the world by being the light of the world and he's making those who are blind able to see and those who are able to see blind. Now, I think this has some big implications for how we live in the world as Christians now. Firstly, when we share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus yet, we're sharing the good news of Jesus with them. We're not in control of the effect that it has on them, but we are responsible for faithfully sharing Jesus. Don't get bogged down in science versus religion or Big Bang theory or debunking other worldviews or religions. The main thing is Jesus. All those things are adjacent to telling people about who Jesus is, what he's done to make forgiveness possible and how that's changed your life. Those things are important, the rational things. You know, faith is rational. We've got to talk about science and religion at some point. But it begins with Jesus. And the second thing is that we believe in Jesus and the reality of who he is even when we can't see him anymore. Now, at the start of this chapter in verse 4, if you flicked back and had a look, it says, We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus is talking about doing the works of God while it's still day, which is while he's in the world. And the day is over when he returns to his Father in heaven and no one can work. In one sense, Jesus' earthly ministry is over. In another sense, he's not finished with this world. He sends his spirit and the day of salvation is extended because God's patience means salvation. We live in the last days when we can't see Jesus anymore because he's no longer bodily in the world, and we wait for his return. To the world, we look like blind fools. We look like we're giving up pursuit of the same things that the world values, all because of some fantasy in our heads. But we live for the reality of the unseen. We live for King Jesus, ascended, now seated at the right hand of God in heaven where he'll come again to judge the living and the dead. 
It's the unseen Jesus that we witness to the world. And we do that by continually depending on Jesus to be able to see, to make decisions about what's important based on the reality of who Jesus is, to value the same things that he values, to seek his kingdom, to depend on him for our needs, to forgive from the radical forgiveness that we've received, to flee temptation, and to do all these things pointing to the light of the world so that others might see and believe. Some will be blinded, sadly, unable to see Jesus because they see by another light. Others will see because of the light, by the light of the world, they see their sinful blindness and confess Jesus as Lord. And to come back to a question that I've raised earlier that's still unanswered, how do I know if I can really see? I think that the rest of this, um, the, the, the blind man is an example for us here. Because he's the best example of someone who believes the evidence of the sign. He knows that he was blind and can see now, but still needs to believe what the sign points to. And he'll show us what it, what it looks like to actually be able to see. And we'll know if we can see by by following his example. So pick up with me in verse 35. When Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, he found him and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. It's beautiful, isn't it? Just be captured by the wonder of that moment where someone realises who Jesus is and worships him. How do you know if you can see? Do you worship Jesus? Is your life captured by the reality of who Jesus is so that your life is submitted to him as your Lord? That means seeing by no other light than the light of the world. Can you say that this has happened for you? If you can't, it begins by acknowledging that you're blind without Jesus, helpless in sin, cut off from life with God, and that you need to be rescued and asking him for forgiveness and help and then living with him as your Lord. And believing these things you see the light of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you've sent your Son into a dark world as the light of the world. We thank you that we've received the gift of sight. Father, please help us live out our lives with you as Lord and make decisions that reflect your kingdom of heaven that would be living towards that. In Jesus' name, amen.